Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. You know what? Shut up. Come on. No. Our little baby's all grows up. Sweet birthday, baby. Happy birthday. Grown up. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. It is your birthday period, David. A fact. Hey! Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Alright guys, welcome back to part two of the birthday special, and we're just gonna go ahead and keep diving on into this so we can get through here. There's so much. There's it's well a long, long time ago on a podcast far, <laughs> far away. Um, so most of the stormtroopers are left-handed. Terrence, I was going to get your opinion on this since you were in the military. Yeah. Um, they said that is because of how the weapons are constructed. They said their weapons are based on real weapons where the magazine is on the left side of the weapons. This construction caused it to hit the troopers in the chest. Therefore, they have to switch grip on the weapon, which made them look left-handed. Hmm. Yeah, there was a lot. Okay, so there's a lot of uh, weapons, um, you know, World War One, World War Two era, where, yes, the magazine was not like how you see a lot of guns nowadays where it's under, but the magazines were actually on the side of the gun. Um, or even over in some cases. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and even now you still get, you see some really interesting designs where like some, some magazines are on top, uh, some from the back. You get some weird, weird, weird stuff. But uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I can, I can see that being a problem. And especially like, you know, when you're looking at film and doing anything like military, it's all about like making it look cool, right? Um, and so, you know, it wouldn't be cool if you had a bunch of dudes, you know, clanking their magazines against their, you know, armor and Chest, stuff like scuffing that. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you try to like find whatever workaround you can go to uh, to make things look cool. Uh, sometimes sacrificing something that's like, you know, an actual military would do. For example, the one thing I always. Uh, a nitpick in, in movies is like when you see a convoy and they're all super close together and I'm like there would never be a convoy that's super close together but it also wouldn't make a cool shot 
if they were actually spread out how they were supposed to, because you'd maybe get two vehicles in this show. Well, I mean, you have Airwolf Saga, basically these ant-sized <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, exactly. even, even uh, Kyle could probably test this. Like, um, we have uh, Camp Atterbury down the road, and, like, sometimes if I'm driving down to work on 65, you'll see a, a convoy, and they're spread out pretty far. Um, I don't know if Kyle's ever ran into yeah, that yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're still spread out pretty far on the interstate, you know yeah. what I mean? And then you might even see a section that's gone for, like, two miles and you see another part yeah. of the convoy coming so and that's how they usually are instead of like you know in movies are always close <laughs> like, yeah, as know? close as possible they really can bumper bumper so they look fully decked out yeah you know that's kind of the idea but like in real life yeah well, no, we, we didn't have the budget for shoot shoot that, so. <laughs> yeah. uh, Peter Cushing uh, commented on his role I've often wondered what a grand moth was it sounds like something that flew out of a cupboard <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alan Lett Jr. was anxious when he attended the premiere in Japan, only to be met by total silence at the end. He didn't know that in Japan, moviegoers usually wait for the movie's end titles to finish before speaking or even leaving the theater, and that silence is considered the greatest honor to a movie. Oh, wow. Man, he must have, not knowing that, he must have been like, man, we <laughs> bombed out here. What did I do? Uh, merchandising, so we don't do this. Yeah. You know, uh. Okay, here's another thing that I was telling you about um, Alec Guinness, and I wanted to put this in here for sure. Uh, the 2003 book, Alec Guinness, the authorized biography, reprints several letters that Alec Guinness actually wrote to his longtime friend and correspondent, Anne Kaufman, in which he expressed his displeasure with and dubious about the quality of this movie as it was in production. Before filming started, he wrote, I have been offered a movie by 20th Century Fox, which I may accept if they come up with proper money. London and North Africa starting in mid-March. Science fiction, which gives me pause, but is to be directed by Paul Lucas, uh, who did American Graffiti, which makes me feel I should. Uh, big part, fairy tale rubbish, but could be interesting, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> then after filming I started, he wrote to Kaufman again to complain about the dialogue and described his co-stars as new rubbish dialogue reaches me every other day on wadges of pink paper, and none of it makes my character clear or even bearable. <laughs> I just thankfully... Uh, I just think, thankfully, of the lovely bread, which will help me keep going until next April. Uh, I must, uh, I must off to a studio and work with a dwarf, very sweet, and he has a, to wash in a bidet. And your fellow countryman, Mark Hamill and Tennyson Ford. He's like, is that right, uh, Ellison? No. Well, a rangy, a rangy, languid young man who is probably intelligent and amusing. But oh God, God, can they make me feel ninety? And treat me as if I was 106. Oh, oh, well, yeah, the actor's name is Harrison Ford. Ever heard of him? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's great. David Prowse, here we go. Uh, David Prowse, the actor in the Darth Vader suit, was still disgruntled more than 20 years after the movie's release about the fact that his voice was replaced by James Earl Jones. In a Canadian press interview, Prowse claimed that he was a victim of reverse racism because the cast had no black members and the studio was worried that they would lose a significant slice of the audience. However, Jones wasn't even credited in the original movie, so no one knew that a black actor voiced Darth Vader. George Lucas said he dubbed Vader's dialogue because of Prowl's strong Bristol accent. The cast and crew's nickname for David Prowse was Darth Farmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, do you want... Because uh, I, I think they described... Uh, his accent is like you know, kind of like a high pit, higher pitch. You know, there, British there's accent. recordings of it you can watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, boy, yeah. and so, um, and I actually met the guy. I got his autograph at that same convention. Oh yeah, I remember you telling me that. He's pretty tall, dude. I mean, he's really tall. And so you know, it's it's interesting because it's like, well, no, he just made a choice to get this like you know more 
bassy, menacing voice, which really turned yeah. out in the end. Yeah, and it's actually, it's really kind of surprising. It's it's unusual for actors to kind of speak that way about roles, even if they do have misgivings or feel like they were mistreated during it. Especially something they've um, held on to for twenty years. Yeah, holding yeah. on to it for twenty years is like you know, like you know, the idea of everything is politics. You know, Hollywood is a very political kind of state of how you treat people and how you voice your concerns or misgivings. And for David Prowse to go all out and say like, oh, they mistreated me like this, reverse racism, using all these terms. Um, kind of salt of the earth kind of a mindset of his own future career and I feel like that's why you don't see him as like continuing to act or even be really part of the Star Wars canon now because he was so you know or is, it, or is he dead now Tal? I, I don't know <laughs> that might be one of the reasons he's not <laughs> that could be, be a real good reason being dead but I mean as in terms of being remembered as as you know he's not remembered quite as fondly as the I think other he did die a few team. years ago yeah. so you might want to look look that up while we're I, 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 I will I'll give that a little look up uh, the word Jedi is derived from the Japanese words no I'm probably going to say this wrong so don't uh, be mad at me, my our fellow Japanese listeners. Uh, Jidea Geki, is that right? Terrence G J I D. Right here. Oh, Jidea Geki. Yeah, which translated as period adventure drama. A period adventure drama is a Japanese television soap opera program set in the samurai days. George Lucas mentioned in an interview that he saw this once on a program on television while in Japan a year or so before the movie was made, and he liked the word. The humorous moment when Chewbacca uh, frightens a skittish mouse droid that was thought up on set and not scripted. Uh, Carrie, confer- Carrie Fisher confirmed in her autobiography that she disliked the bagel bun hairstyle she wore as Princess Leia. However, prior to filming, the studio has requested that she lose some of her weight first. And oh, she hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> Out of fear of being fired for it, she was eager to comply with everything that writer and director George Lucas suggested, which included the hairstyle. <laughs> Nice. When Obi-Wan is given a short history of the Jedi Order and Luke's father in his house on Tatooine, a patch can be seen on the right shoulder of his robe. It is explained in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith how that robe got damaged. Uh, interesting hmm. fact about Tatooine that I have is um, it was originally supposed to take place in a jungle. Uh, it was supposed to be a jungle planet, but... Uh, George, uh, uh, so Gary Coons traveled to the Philippines to scout locations, uh, but because of the idea of spending months in the jungle made Lucas feel itchy. <laughs> like, he's just like, that sounds like really uncomfortable to just film in the jungle. So, um, they, they researched a couple other places, uh, all over American, North African, and Middle Eastern deserts. Um, found in uh, Tunisia near the uh, Sahara Desert uh, as the ideal location is, you know, where they decided to film Tatooine. So then it then changed and became the desert planet. Yeah. So, Anthony, want, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, uh, uh, it, it, it's just as uh, Lucas later stated that he wanted to make it look like outer space. Yeah. Um, so, um, down here, when it says that... Uh, uh, Anthony Daniels and all other actors playing C-3PO type droids had to lean against a board to rest as their costumes were not flexible enough to allow them to sit down. In scenes where C-3PO is required to sit, Daniels' costume had to be partially disassembled to allow him to sit down. This was a hidden by using camera angles and by having C-3PO sit behind things. This inflexible costume problem was also experienced by Jack Haley, who played the Tin Woodsman in The Wizard of Oz in 1939. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving back on the facts of uh, tattooing, I, one fact I found absolutely hilarious while watching the movie again is the scene where um, uh, 
Grand Mark Targon is threatening to destroy um, Alderaan if Prince Leia doesn't reveal the uh, location of the rebel secret rebel base. Um, the rebel base is on the, the planet um, Dantooine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a Tatooine <laughs> and a Dantooine. <laughs> Just George Lucas asked like name. He's like, okay, so we got Tatooine here. Uh, what's your plan for the secret rebel base? I don't know. Call it Dantooine. Just <laughs> ultimate creativity of the man. <laughs> Just, I love there's so many moments where like actually legitimately funny thing, you know, incredibly creative things, and then also there's Dan Twing. But that's actually another. It is another place in there. Yes, it is yeah. another place yeah. in the world. But I do find it funny. It's just like it's just, it's North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, just, oh George yeah, yeah, right. George Lucas originally wanted Orson Welles to do Darth Vader's voice, but decided against it, feeling the Welles voice would be too recognizable. That's true. No. <laughs> um, this is a sad fact. Kenner Toys signed on for merchandising shortly before this movie opened, prepared to produce a modest line of space-themed toys. When this movie became a hit, they were unprepared to produce enough toys to handle Christmas demand. Instead, they sold boxed vouchers for various toys. The toys sold during the December empty box campaign were delivered by March. <laughs> hey, look what Santa Bobby! Oh, man. An empty An box. Empty box. <laughs> and you don't get it until it. three months later. No. <laughs> Same time though, I wish more companies could still do that kind of stuff today. We're just like, hey, we can't produce it right now, but if you miss a voucher, we promise box. we'll get you one. Imagine if they did that um, with the PS5 and the PS5 whole show. Like, you know what? No, no. Here's a voucher. Here's an empty box voucher, and just you'll, like, you don't listen, have to buy it from a scalper. Yeah. Here's your place in line. We promise we'll get it to you eventually. <laughs> um, when it was first released in 1977, the movie was simply titled Star Wars. It wasn't changed until Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope until 1981, which I thought that was interesting. Wasn't the idea for this movie scribbled on a napkin? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's all good ideas are. <laughs> uh, according to Ben Burt, the sounds Chewbacca makes were created from a compilation of large mammals, mostly bears. He said that one particular zoo kept uh, grizzly bears um, was an invaluable source of Chewbacca sounds. R2-D2 sounds are various people, mostly Burt, making baby-like sounds or recordings of real-life babies electronically manipulated. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, the hilt of the lightsaber given to Luke Skywalker is a Graflex 3 cell camera flash tube with some rubber grips and a loop attached to the base. Darth Vader's is made in a similar fashion from a flash gun and windshield wipers for grips. Obi-Wan Kenobi's is more complicated using part of a flash gun and part of a hand grenade. These flash tubes skyrocketed in value after the release of the movie. Ironically, Roger Christian uh, selected the materials from a junk pile and the suppliers were considered ruthless at the time. The design of all the lightsabers later provided to be problematic as Christian designed them for aesthetics rather than heavy combat. Plus, in the prequel trilogy, the characters mostly use redesigned lightsabers built for more comfortable dueling. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny enough, um, uh-huh. I was in a... I know, right? <laughs> I laughed too. Uh, so about the, 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 um, the camera piece, uh, I was actually in a forum you know, about like all the tech junk and... Um, uh, one of them was like he's like yeah no I have that piece and he you know he posted a picture of it and you're like yeah that 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 looks like that's the lightsaber sure enough they just added a couple little doodads here and there and boom you got yourself a lightsaber <laughs> so it's really cool I like I mean they've been they also did that you know uh, uh, later on in you know episodes one through three where they took just random things and then made them into something. Uh, in the Star Wars world, and that's true, and that's and that's still a big part of like today in film casting. Like, yeah. like if you're a pop director, you take you make you make what you have work exactly. regardless if it can or not. I, I think that's super cool that they, <laughs> yeah. they they start it that way and they they continue to do that. Yeah. So here you go. Here's here's the long-awaited rumor. Are you ready? In 2010, George Lucas sent Damon Lindorf and Carlton Cuse 
the executive producers of Lost in 2004, a letter congratulating them on the show's end and letting them in on some possible facetious secrets about his development of the Star Wars film franchise. Don't tell anyone, but when Star Wars first came out, I didn't know where it was going either. The trick is to pretend you planned the whole thing out in advance, throw in some father uh, father issues and reference to other stories. Let's call them all homages, and you've got a series. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you gotta do. If it works, it works. Uh, Makes sense now. Yep. George Lucas based the character of Han Solo on his friends Francis Ford Coppola, director of the Godfather trilogy. Uh, two different base designs were created for the Millennium Falcon. The rejected one became the Rebel Blockade Runner seen at the start of the movie. Hmm. And I don't know how I would feel about that being the Han Solo ship. I know, right? <laughs> but it makes more sense if you... Uh, well, well, we won't go into that. That's for another time. Another story for another day. <laughs> another galaxy far of our way. <laughs> uh, Lucas always wanted his production team... Uh, he always got mad when they came in and cleaned the setup because he wanted, you know... Uh, he didn't want the floors buffed. He wanted them nicked and dirty and... To actually look like people lived there. Yeah, a grimy real world is what he wanted. Right. Yeah. The R2-D2s were all rolled in the dirt, nicked with a saw, and kicked around a bit. Hopefully they took Kenny Baker out before they did it. They, <laughs> know, right? they forgot. Who knows? <laughs> uh, George, help me, help me. <laughs> George Lucas propolized the concept of used furniture, giving sets, props, etc., dirtied up appearance to create the illusion that they were old and worn down. However, he was not the first person to use this strategy. Gary Andr- or Jerry Anderson had extensively used this process in his Super Marion Nation series, most notably Thunderbirds. Speaking of trickery of the eye and illusions, stuff like that. Um, so previously, you know, we had talked about uh, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, um, which kicked off a lot of different you know, special effects. And uh, like I said, they created ILM sort of off the basis of the fact that there was no studio that did what they wanted to do. Uh, so most of the visual effects in the movie were uh, used pioneering digital motion control photography uh, developed by John Dijkstra and his team. Uh, which created the illusion of size by employing small models and slow-moving cameras. So a uh, uh, little, like, bit of stop-motion, kind of, um, but more in, you know, the digital world where, you know, you're taking these minis and then you're making it look yeah. real. Um, along with the fact that uh, the only CGI in this whole movie, uh, before, of course, you know, the remaster... Um, is the Death Star plans that are shown at the Rebels base on Yavin 4. Uh, it was written with uh, grass programming language, which I do not know what that is. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I do, even being a tech some guy. Archaic <laughs> some, yeah, some, some archaic technology. Some archaic language. Well, kids, back in my day, yeah. so, um, you guys would have died of dysentery. <laughs> on the the right I know this. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they, they exported it to uh, Vector General, uh, General Monitor and filmed it on 35mm to the rear to be projected onto set. Uh, it's So, like I said, it's the only computer animation in the original film and I thought that was really cool. There's also a few shots in the movie, not the entire trilogy but also I know in the first movie where um, Luke Skywalker encounters the Tusken Raider for the first time. He's The, the Raider is raising his arms but it turns out the way they filmed that was literally, it's just him raising it and then they just reversed the footage for him lowering it down <laughs> continually. It's basically the first gif of cinematic history. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Tusken Raider moving his rifle up and down going This is the only movie in the franchise where David Prowse did the lightsaber fighting on his own. He was doubled in the sequels because he kept breaking the poles that stood him for the blades. Uh, this switch might explain why Vader pivots in this movie, uh, his feet in this movie, <laughs> but not in the others. I will say, uh, so obviously when I first saw this, I was a kid and uh, I didn't know 
how they were until like later on I did get to see some behind the scenes footage and they're just these really thin rods. They look like kendo sticks yeah. in wrestling, you know what I mean? Um, but even thinner though, like like they just like look like these <laughs> Christmas <laughs> wrapping paper too. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Just, tell me, who here has used like the Christmas wrapping paper tube as a lightsaber? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. All hands raised, double yeah. hands yeah. up. That, that, you know, you also got the, uh, yeah. you, you, all the, the school markers, you put them all together. <laughs> <laughs> You have the power. Uh, <laughs> Use the force. The uh, pulsating engine sound of the Star Destroyer is a manipulated rec- recording of a broken air conditioner. <laughs> here you go, Terrence. I told t- uh, Kyle this fact earlier when he was over here. Robert Englund. You know, you, know who, you know who Robert England is? Uh, sounds familiar. Freddy Krueger. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. He auditioned for the role of Luke Skywalker but was turned down. He then suggested his roommate, Mark Hamill, that he should try for the part. So Mark <laughs> Hamill and him were roommates. <laughs> Yeah. That's great. Now imagine all the universe where Mark Hamill was Freddy Krueger. <laughs> so you're telling me Freddy Krueger is a part of the Star Wars universe? Exactly. That's great. He's canon. Uh, fierce sandstorm. Like claws. <laughs> you can't tell me otherwise. You can tell he's it. A fierce sandstorm destroyed several of the Tatooine sets in the desert outside Tozier, Tunisia. Filming resumed two days later. The same thing happened to Lucas 22 years later while filming Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yeah, that's hilarious. Here we go, Terrence. Industrial light magic spent most of the production period in chaos, attempting to create special effects that had never been created before. They blew half their budget on four shots, which George Lucas rejected. <laughs> Ultimately, around five million of the eight million budget was spent by industrial light magic. So, in additional to the uh, the storms and stuff, they also fell behind on schedule in the first week because uh, uh, in the shooting, uh, because a lot of malfunctioning of the props, electronic breakdowns. Uh, rare rainstorms, which is what's right. really hilarious about it, is well, like, they said they hadn't had one in Tunisia in like fifty years. Yeah, it was the and first thing yeah, filming. Yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, there's even a quote from uh, uh, Taylor, the uh, cinematographer. He's like, you couldn't really see where the land ended and the sky began. It was a real gray mess. The robots were just a blur. So, uh, another cool fun fact about sort of uh, the lighting and sort of the difficulties they had was. A lot of the set design was a lot of blacks and grays. And so they had a hard time lighting uh, the areas because of it. So in order to solve that, he cut out uh, a lot of different holes and stuff to put lights in. And that's where you get the, uh, that iconic sort of imperial design of mm-hmm. like a lot of the... Uh, uh, cut grid like looking. Cut, the, yeah, yeah. The cut surfaces with lights the behind them. The cheese grater lights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that came from trying to find a solution of keeping the design they wanted, but also getting the light lighting that the cinematographer wanted. And because they did that, that actually opened them up to uh, do a lot of things because the whole set was pretty much lit at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a you know consolation that one's like a win-win scenario for the film director. For yeah. A small pair of metal dice can be seen hanging in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, um, but also it was a homage to uh, Harrison's Ford car in American Graffiti. That's also in the Millennium Falcon and Solo, I do believe, is where you first yeah, see it. Yeah, like, they, they actually retroactively made it a, yeah, 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 made it an actual canon thing. Uh, when Harrison Ford visited a record store to buy an album after the movie's initial release, enthusiastic fans tore half his shirt off. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. I think that happened to Terrence earlier when we were out and we went into a store and the podcast fans just came and ripped his sweatshirt off. <laughs> you know, problems we have all the daily, getting recognized for our voices and just, What's you know. important was they were wearing a mask. <laughs> exactly. When the bla- was shirt. <laughs> uh, when the blasters are cocked, they have a clicking and clunking sound. This is a recording of a parking meter handle being turned. <laughs> In 2017, Mark Hamill admitted that he and Carrie Fisher were attracted to each other and often made out. He claimed, however, that they mutually decided at the last minute 
to not consummate the effect. Wait, wait, wait. Read that again one more time? Uh, no, it's for you too young. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were attracted to each other and often made out. He, uh, claimed, he claimed, however, that they mutually decided not yeah. to consummate the marriage. We can't say the third yeah. time or else this is going to Not be the marriage, but the affair. Anymore. But if you need to know what that <laughs> yeah. is, Kyle, well, see it, me it, after, it, after it, we it, get it, off it, the it, air. It, and I'll explain. Kyle, when a man <laughs> loves a woman. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I have to go further on it because it's, it's... No, don't go further on no, it. No, 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 no. Seriously, seriously. This is a family show. But it is a serious topic, though. I think I think Carrie Fisher may have let Mark Hamill down gently in the time because later on, I have the fun fact here. her and Harrison Ford. About her and Harrison Ford. In the 2016 memoir, you know, Princess, Princess Diaries, Diaries Carrie Fisher reveals that she had an affair with Harrison Ford. I think it was about three months was, or six months or something. Yeah, for like a, yeah, I believe it. Uh, I don't have a particular timing frame here, but he was at the time Harrison Ford was married to his wife of fifteen, fifteen years older than Carrie Fisher. So it was just one of those things you imagine just Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford leaving Mark Hamill's like, "Hey guys, what are you doing? Where are you going? Are you guys want to get some food? Can I come? No." But did oh. you hear about the other one, about her and Alec Guinness? No. <laughs> um, Princess Leia is stunned by a stormtrooper in the opening scene. This is the only time an Imperial blaster is fired in stun mode in the Star Wars saga. I and forget there's a stun mode at all. I, don't, well, I mean, I don't understand because the stormtroopers obviously couldn't hit anything anyway. So. It's the only time they ever hit something. <laughs> uh, production was so laden with problems that Lucas is telling You already talked about his yeah. poor hell, so we ain't even going to worry about that one. Uh, we'll just fly through that page. Uh, former fighter pilots uh, were employed as technical advisors for the because uh, they would watch a lot of the uh, dogfights from World War II and yeah. everything. Um, so they would listen to audio recordings of radio communications uh, that made the dogfights uh, that they were studying make them more believable uh, and to also help with the dialogue of the TIE fighters and the uh, Rogue One standing by, you know, all the oh, X-Wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, even like that case, like the entire Death Star assault scene was modeled after the World War II film, The Dam Busters, released in 1955, in which like Royal Air Force, you know, actually bombs fly over long, heavily defended reservoirs. So it has that kind of like down the straight line, bombers going through the line. So um, pretty much everything about the Star Wars, you know, you know, dogfighting scenes are based off World War II movies and World War II tactics. Mm-hmm. Well, even he put stock footage in of old movies when he was showing them to his friends, you know, earlier on. In his original they, cuts, yeah. They haven't got the stuff Temporary footage and, right. uh, you know, yeah. Most of the planets, moons, etc. seen in this movies were just balls that were painted. However, unlike the planets, an actual model was built of the Death Star because there was constant shots of vehicles approaching it. Um, the actors playing the stormtroopers uh, in the scene where they investigate the escape pods were paid $8,500 or Tunisian dinar which back then was the equivalent of only six dollars and fifty cents in the nineteen seventy six U S dollars. Oh, Adjusted for inflation would be twenty four dollars and seventy six uh, cents by two thousand ten. I mean, to say you were in a movie, I would have done yeah. it for six fifty. The movie was originally scheduled for eat. a yeah. Christmas nineteen seventy six release. It was pushed back five months for post production. Special effects took way longer than expected. Studio executives were concerned that the new release date, May 20th, 1977, would hurt the box office because none other than Smokey and the Bandit from 1977 came out the same week. By the end of its initial theatrical run in the U.S., this movie had grossed over twice as much as Smokey and the Bandit. That weekend, though, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ben Burke created the sound of Darth Vader's breathing by placing a small microphone in the second stage mouthpiece of a scuba regulator and then recording the sound made by his breathing through the regulator. Which, who here hasn't put their uh, face up to oh, a fan yeah. and, I am your father. <laughs> uh, before casting Sir Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi, George Lucas considered j- casting Japanese actor Toshiro Mifune, Mifune 
Yeah, uh, he also considered casting a Japanese actress for Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Interesting. interesting. We, yeah. You know, and later they did that great with uh, you know uh, Rose and uh, the Star Wars movies, and that was uncontroversial. I just imagine. Oh, she was like, Korean, actually. <laughs> not that, but I was thinking of uh, Rogue One, where they cast. I'm one with the. The forest, oh, the yeah, the the yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, I love that part. Yeah. But, like, I'm just imagining, like, it, it, I think it would have been cool to, like, uh, you know, have if you get a, a Japanese with a, a guy with like that gruff Japanese voice, like, I, I think it would be shogun like voice, yeah, 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 yeah. out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the line, May the Force Be With You, is ranked number eight on AFI's 100 Years 100 Movie Quotes. Uh, the reason the scene transitions using an up, a, a swipe, or wipe upwards, where Obi Wan and Luke carry C3O to repair him after the Sand People attack, about the 33 minute mark, is that Anthony Daniels was only wearing black tights below his waist. Yeah. It was done this way to hide him, so that way, so he, he didn't have to have the full costume on. Uh, Carrie Fisher claimed that here it is that her and Harrison Ford had that uh, three month love affair. Three months. Um, and and right. Fisher actually warned Harrison that hey, it's in the book. And according to Fisher, Ford responded merely by cracking lawyer. <laughs> Lawyered up real quick. What well, well, I was going to say, um, uh, also funny enough on the quotes, we also have the most misquoted quote. What, quote. Quote. <laughs> quote. Uh, yeah. uh, Luke, I am your father. That's not the actual quote from the movie. It's, it's no it's, it's, I. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's the most. That is not in this movie, Terrence. That is not that in this movie. Secret, so you but save I it feel, for the sequel. I know, I'm sorry. I watch them all at the same time. Yeah, I love this series. Star Wars is big. We can't ignore everything. <laughs> Mark Hamill and the Blue Milk. Have you ever watched this? you ever watched the Blue Milk switch hands when he's drinking? Oh, you watch yeah. that. It's really <laughs> annoying. But Mark Hamill stated that the Blue Milk was long-life shelf milk with additives. They put blue food coloring in, and it was really ghastly, oily, and sweet, and ugh. Triggered your ga- triggering your gag reflex, but I said, hey, look, if they gave me blue milk, you bet I'm going to drink it on camera because what other chance am I going to get? So there's an indication that I'm an underrated actor. I gulped it down and acted like I liked it without even vomiting. <laughs> give me a medal. Give that, he did get a medal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they didn't tell you what That's the medal what it was, was for. Yeah. Right. The blue medal. Uh, according to the exhibit at the Smithsonian, the sound of a TIE fighter is created by combining the squeal of a young elephant with the sound of a car driving by on a rain-slicked highway. <laughs> Whoa, so, love those uh, the moon Yavin 4, which acted as the rebel base in this movie, was filmed in the Mayan temples at Tikal, Guatemala. George Lucas selected the location as a potential filming site after seeing a poster of it hanging at a travel agency. While he was filming in England, they inspired him to send a crew to Guatemala in March 1977 to shoot scenes. While filming in Tikal, the crew paid locals with a six-pack of beer to watch over the camera equipment for several days. Speaking of filming in London, there was actually a reason why they filmed this in London instead of... Or, uh, so when it came to a lot of the stage filming they did, uh, besides like you know uh, using environmental... Uh, Set work and those kind of things. Exactly. So uh, the stage work was done in London is because at the time... Hollywood didn't have any studios that had the lighting, the heavy equipment and expensive equipment of lighting that they needed. So they end up renting a studio in London instead um, uh, that basically was able to accommodate their lighting needs. Um, But they also had really strict parameters because in London, um, you have to stop filming at 530 um, with the exception of like if you're mid scene, you finish up that scene and then you're then you're done. Uh, so you can't essentially go over time and like you know uh, do more if you wanted to. Um, so there there were some restrictions uh, that they had when filming over there in London. Making movies is hard. <laughs> <laughs> more or less. Uh, prior to the release of this movie, the greatest profit 20th Century Fox ever made in one year was thirty seven million dollars. In ninety seven, and just because of this movie, their year in profit was seventy nine million. <laughs> 
There are actually two different actors portraying Wedge Antilles in this movie. The first one is Colin Higgins, who remains uncredited. He is sitting beside Luke during the strategy meeting with the rebel pilots before the Battle of Yavin. The one who says, that's impossible, even for a computer. (laughs) However, he was dismissed after only one day of shooting and was replaced by Dennis Lawson for the filming of the cockpit scenes. Both actors' voices were later overdubbed by David Ankrum. Today, Higgins' version of the character is known amongst Star Wars fans as... Fake wedge. <laughs> Fake wedge. That's my next uh, hip hop name. soon. Uh, there is a Wilhelm scream. We need to cover that one time, Terrence. We've never really done a, a deep dive into the Wilhelm scream. Right. Yeah, just all um, about the, Wilhelm. the film revived and repopularized the Wilhelm scream sound effect, first used in distant drums in 1951. It's first heard when Luke blasts the stormtrooper from across the Death Star chasm. So we need to do that. Uh, the Craig Dragon is actually a. Uh, and the Tatooine Desert was actually that of a Diplo- Diplodocus leftover from the Disney movie One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing in 1975, which has been made at L Street Studios. Upon discovery, the bones are transported to Tunisia aboard a Lockhead Hercules, which has been chartered to deliver some forgotten equipment needed to the desert for uh, location shoot. Uh, cardboard cutouts were used for some of the background starfighters in the Rebel Hangar Bay and for most of the crowd watching the heroes receiving their medallions in the final scene. You know, for that blue milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, along with uh, Beru, Lars, and Mon Mothma, Princess Leia is the only, uh, as one of the three female characters star in the original trilogy. Um, I'm sure there is some female aliens that they don't really say, you know what I mean? But Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's they identify and respect that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Carrie Fisher said that her and her friend both read the script out loud and they both wanted to play Han Solo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That makes perfect sense. Within three weeks of release, 20th Century Fox stock price doubled to a record high. Uh, The movie inspired James Cameron and Dave Camfield to be filmmakers. Yeah. Anthony Daniels' C-3PO suit was so noisy and clanking on the set that not only was Daniels' live recorded dialogue unusable... But the live tracks of other actors and actresses in the scene were spoiled as well. So oh, that would have been an editing Audio nightmare. nightmare. Uh, yeah. Editing. Terrible. Uh, another fun fact about C-3PO. A mutual friend of Anthony Daniels who played C-3PO and Garrick Hagen who played Biggs during filming was Will Knightley. Um, Will Knightley is actually the father of Kira Knightley who appeared later in Star Wars Episode 1 Fan Menace. Hmm. So small world. Friends of friends. <laughs> they have a little small connection there. <laughs> who, did, who did she play in uh, Phantom Menace? Uh, I believe she plays the... Um, the um, <laughs> I have to make sure I don't get it wrong with Natalie Portman, but she plays the um, the, the fake the, the, the princess, stunt double. The yeah, fake, not stunt double, but yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh, in the movie body double, yeah, the body double queen in yeah. the movie. Natalie Portman and Keira Knightley do that. Amidala, yeah, um, yeah, princess, um, queen Amidala. We all know now that May Fourth has become known as Intergalactic Star Wars Date. But some other famous things, uh, movies that have came out, and people who have passed away on May the Fourth is Hard Bodies came out in 1984, Short Time in 1990. Mo Howard of the Three Stooges passed away on May 4th, 1975, and Dom DeLuise passed away on May 4th, 2009. Hmm. In Italy, R2-D2 was renamed C1-P8, while Darth Vader became Lord Fener, F-E-N-E-R. The reason being uh, that Vader in Italian sounds too close to the common noun for toilet bowl. (laughs) 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 So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, George Lucas cites, as we said earlier, that Star Trek uh, played a major influence behind him wanting to do these movies. Harrison Ford was paid a thousand dollars a week for his role in this movie. Let me talk about seventy-seven. That's still good money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. Mel Blanc auditioned for the voice of C-3PO, and I wish that would have been something for him to do. He's done all the Looney Tune characters, Bugs oh, Bunny, yeah, yeah, and all yeah. them. And I wonder why he didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I mean, the man could create yeah. a million voices. <laughs> okay, without look, I'm not going to let you guys look at these notes. Who do you think, let's see if you know them, see who can get it right first. So it's like Jeopardy. Who do you think has the first line of dialogue in the movie? Oh. Uh, I believe it was C-3PO. Ding, ding, ding. The young oh, C-3PO yeah. is the first character to speak. Uh, according to Mark Hamill, while filming the land speeder scenes with the second unit in Death Valley, he wore jeans as only his upper half was visible. The costume of C-3PO was worn by a teenage girl at the time, as Anthony Daniels was not necessary for the shoot. Hamill also added that the girl was asking him what the film was about, and he's like, it's hard to explain. <laughs> I don't know. Watch it. That's fantastic. Uh, just walk. Just do your, do your motions. Get this. Alec Guinness was initially reluctant to accept a percentage as every previous film where he had done this had been a flop, but agreed to take 2%. On the day before the film opened, Lucas gave Guinness another 0.25% as thanks for improving the dialogue. That extra 0.25% turned out to be worth $2 million. <laughs> Holy <Yep>. cow! <laughs> yep. um, my last fun fact I actually have written down is that Sir Alex Guinness wore a toupee for all the scenes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is now something I'll never <laughs> unsee while watching that scene. Watching the scenes. Mr. Toupee, Alex Guinness. Uh, <laughs> Alec Guinness didn't like being fawned over and he instructed the cast and crew never, ever address him as Sir Alec. Mark Hamill responded by saying, what should we call you then? Big Al? <laughs> <laughs> Guinness said they said Guinness broke up with laughter. And my last note: uh, some unused footage uh, shot for the movie was used in the Star Wars Holiday Special in 1978, which I believe is coming to Disney Plus soon. Yeah. So we'll start with well, let's start with Kyle today. Kyle, what's your thoughts of feelings on Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope? Yeah, it was kind of funny because I, I, whatever I say about Star Wars has been said before a thousand times by somebody else, and I'm just going to regurgitate the same stuff again. The film's amazing. It still is. You know, it is the foundation of uh, science fiction and fantasy going on today, and so many of its practical effects are used today, and everything is just instrumental in like establishing all entertainment that you see. If you see great entertainment, it's in some ways, you know, in some way influenced by Star Wars and everything else too. So I love it to death. I think it's worth watching today by anyone and Star Wars is well worth being the brand it is today where it will never end and just constantly have great movies being made out of it. So I'd love it. <laughs> Jimbo. Dan? It's terrible. <laughs> no, I, I love it, obviously. Ow. <laughs> um, no, no, I, I, it's, Love the movie. It's it's a great start to you know a, a great series. Um, interestingly enough, you know of of the three, it's the slower one. But I I, I do appreciate, and, and that's saying a lot because a lot happens, right? But um, no, I enjoy the the sort of how it builds up everything. You know, to the rest of the the, the other two movies. If, you know, if we're talking about the originals, uh, super enjoy it. Obviously, like. Like I was saying, there's nothing I could say that hasn't already been said, or that, or that is you know still not being said out loud right now. Um, but yeah, you know it's 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 a monolith, and when it comes to science fiction, uh, truly, yeah. like yeah, there's there's you know the, it sort of made uh, the film industry take science fiction seriously because it hadn't really been at this point, and you know you saw it in like a lot of the information we put out. Um, uh, but after that, you know, it inspired so many different directors uh, to make more great movies. Um, so, like, just the movie's great, what it inspired is great, and what it continues to make um, 
is is great. You know, uh, despite some of the setbacks people might think, like that, I think all the movies have still been entertaining. Uh, yeah. I mean, one last to pan- say the least, but yeah. like it, I think you know it's it's coming back, and um, like I was saying earlier, uh, George Lucas still uh, has a hand in a lot of the writing, um, even in the most recent Star Wars stuff, uh, and it all came from this movie right here, the movie that. A lot of people thought it would fail, and then it came back. It not only was it top box office of the year, but it is one of the biggest series in the world right now. You know, so and doesn't this also? Um, didn't you also say that this is something that your dad introduced you to yeah, when you were younger? Um, um, like that you saw memories my, of that too. You absolutely. Know what I mean? So a lot of my geekdom uh, and you know a lot of my you know love for the uh, older movies and stuff like that. Uh, comes from my dad and uh, Star Wars in particular. Um, I, I watched the original three movies with my mom and dad. Uh, we sat down, watched it, had a great time, and then subsequently, you know, ten years later when they came out with Episode One, uh, we all went as a family to see that in theaters, and that was like that was the thing we always did every time a Star Wars movie would come out. Have to go to theaters. I remember, I remember seeing. Um, uh, was it Episode One or Two where? Uh, Django Fett had that iconic bomb go off. Two. Uh, so, so it was just me and my dad that went to go see two. And we saw it in IMAX. And to see to hear that bomb go off in IMAX was great. So anyway, just I have so many fond memories of, of just Star Wars in general. And once again, it all comes... It starts right here with A New Hope. As it always should. Uh, if you are ever <laughs> introducing somebody to the series, do not go in chronological order. Uh, go in film release order. Um, at least as far as like you know the the understanding with highs and lows and where yeah it came from. yeah you, 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 know, you gotta you gotta go four five six and then you know one two three and then yeah. and I will say you gotta watch Rogue One with this Absolutely. too because it makes this movie a lot the beginning of this movie uh, it makes a lot more sense oh it's so so it, it but we'll get we'll, we'll cover that eventually I'm sure yeah. but yeah to me the difference between you guys and 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 me on this movie is. I was born in 77, so, yeah. you know, I, I was the first go-around, you know what I mean? So I remember going to the theater, you know, seeing, I, I know for Return of the Jedi for for sure, um, because I remember what they were trying to read Jabba the Hutt's dialogue, you know, like, do you want to walk us all you know what I mean? But for me, before there was uh, Toys R Us, well, there were Toys R Us, but there was a place called Children's Palace here, and, I, and some my fondest memories is when I'd go to get my allowance, and I'd, we'd go in there and do the things, and... I just remember seeing all the Star Wars action figures up there, man. If I could go back and just buy all those. But oh, I remember getting, you know, the uh, the green Luke Skywalker. I had a plastic lightsaber. And and it would do, it had the thing, like, in the handle that when you swung it, it would go, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it, your mind. You know? Yeah, and I was like, oh, you know. And, and so many so many memories flooded me of the toys I had. You know, I mean, I can still remember, you know, getting the Jawas. I had Dagobah, um, which is not until the next movie. But, I mean, I had yeah. that toy. I had the Ewok Village. I had, you know. Had almost everything that a, a boy could want, and the hours of the, the, the your imagination just goes wild when you're a kid, um, because you would have lightsaber duels. You would be like, you know, in your in your uh, red wagon, like you're in a Tie Fighter, or oh, yeah. or you know what I mean. And it just to sit and watch this movies, there's nothing like it. Um, and then not only then do you get to see watch the original, you know, and then you got to see oh well they updated the special effects, you know what I mean, and you're like oh. But then you got it on, the, you know, like VHS. And you're like, oh. Right. And then you're like, DVD. <laughs> I can <laughs> yeah, jump to a scene. Going to and then you, now you got the special re-releases in 97. And then you got these new uh, new ones. And then they released Disney Plus and all that. And you're like, I can relive all this anytime I want now. Yeah. And But to me, it's it's about my childhood. It's about storytelling. 
because the story that he wove, even if he didn't know where he was going well, with these three really movies, important. and I think I think it just great. even even though he doesn't come out and say it, but it it's just a trite and true the hero's journey. Right. Uh, when it, when in writing, there's what's called the hero's journey. I'm obviously not going to get into it, but it's basically. Uh, uh, what do you call it? It's the building blocks to write a story, uh, particularly for if you have you know a hero who's main protagonist and stuff. And it's called the Hero's Journey, and it's a step by step the hero's journey what Luke goes through, um, and yeah. you know it shows that you know you can use some simple building blocks to create a really amazing story. Yeah, Follow, right. follows the framework to a T. It right. really does. Yeah. So there you have it. It's a definitely a much much watch for me. It's one of my favorite movies still. I mean, I like it better than some of the other Star Wars movies. I like Empire Strikes Back a lot too because the bad guys actually win. Yeah. But you have to start somewhere, and you have to appreciate where it came from to uh, appreciate where it went. Exactly. And to follow the whole story, just to how even the smallest thing, like in some of the newer stuff, relates all the way back to that one. I think it's amazing, and attention to details. So. Two thumbs up for me, 10 out of 10. Definitely must own, not just a must watch. Oh, yeah. Uh, and own. for those of you that haven't watched this, Tim Mullins, I'm talking to you. You what? definitely, yeah, he's never seen Star Wars. Oh, wow. Uh, and I said, <laughs> I said, up on you, this podcast. You, my mind is blown. Somebody, you need what? to watch this. It is a great movie. Uh, for anybody else that hasn't watched it, um, First, tell Tim Mullins to watch it. <laughs> yeah, everybody tell Tim go Tim Mullins and have much it. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely. I mean, you guys can look around my room here. I've got a Darth Vader mask behind me. I got an AT-AT behind me. I got a, a talking Chewbacca. Star Wars I got a talking yeah. Chewbacca mask in here. I've got a He's parking for toys. Star Wars. I'll never ever get rid of my toys ever again. Uh, wish I would have kept them all. Now I'd be a, probably a millionaire. I know, right? But well, I think we've rattled on long enough. Uh, be on the lookout next week. I'm not really sure what we're doing. I mean, I think I know. There's three that. We're doing, but I'm not sure which one's going to be released next week. So um, be on the lookout for that. Uh, but I think this episode's coming to a close. And guys, thanks for a great two years so far. Hopefully, we have many more. Oh wait, yeah. we got to plug in the. Uh, uh, this is true. Yeah. I was I wasn't done yet, Taryn. <laughs> exactly. We also have some listeners that send in some audio clips uh, or emails that I'm going to add right here at the end, so uh, everybody can enjoy this. And we appreciate them all dearly. <laughs> I am Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories. And I am Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories. We wanted to wish James and Terrence a fantastic and happy two-year anniversary on their podcast. Oh, nice. Way to go, guys. That's amazing. Who'd have ever thought when you started it that two years later you would be celebrating and bigger than ever? We are so excited for you guys to see what the future holds. Yeah, we are excited and very proud of you all. So... Best of luck, and uh, we'll talk to you and send you another one in three more years for the five-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. Leslie Fear with Because I Want to Know podcast. I interview guests with unique occupations or life experiences, like maybe a mortician, a near-death experiencer, even a woman who escaped a cult. But you know what? It's not about me today. It's about the tragedy of cinema, guys. They are celebrating their two-year anniversary in podcasting, and they're doing fantastic. Love this podcast. They talk about so many great movies. There have been a lot that I've seen, but there's been a lot that I haven't, and I've learned so much. And I always love their individual opinions about what they've seen and how it affected them. So congratulations, guys. Here's to many, many more years of fantastic podcasting.
travel into space. It'd be fun, they said. It'd be a snore fest, said nobody. <sighs> Computer. Can you please tell me how long we've been in space? We have been in space for exactly 235 days. Oh my god, is that all? <sighs> how much longer do we got till we get to our destination? We have exactly five years, three days, two hours, and four. Okay, I get it. We got a long way to go. Computer, can you recommend something to break the boredom, please? May I recommend you listen to a podcast? Ah, sure, why not? Any suggestions? How about Hillbilly Horror Stories? No, heard them, listened to them, caught up. How about Hillbilly Horror House? No, stupid, lame. May I suggest the Tragedies of Cinema? Yeah, sure. Why not? What episodes they have? They have Citizen Kane. Never seen it. They have the Twilight Zone series. Never watched it. They have Casablanca. Haven't seen it. Episode 37, Somewhere in Time. Never seen it, computer. Episode 35, Something Redemption. Nope, I haven't seen that one either. Can you, computer, can you give me something that I've seen at least? Jeez. Episode 34, Planes, Trains. Nope, I haven't seen that one either. Well then, I'm sorry. I cannot be of any assistance. <sighs> of course not. Alright, computer... How many episodes do they have? They have 56 episodes and many extra specials. As a matter of fact, they have two years worth of podcasts. Two years? Holy crap. Computer, record a message for me to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. Yes, of course. Recording now. Hey, Tragedy of Cinema, this is Tim with Triple H Media. I am God knows somewhere in space. Don't ask me where. I, But uh, my computer tells me you guys have been at this for two years. I just wanted to say congratulations, and uh, y'all keep up the good work. And, and yes, even though I haven't seen a lot of those movies, I still do listen. Congratulations, James. From myself and everybody at Triple H Media. Good job. I'll look forward to another two years. Hey guys, this is Sarah Donatus from Hillbilly Horror House. And I heard that you guys are celebrating two whole years of doing this wonderful, wonderful podcast. So I did a little bit of research and uh, looked a couple things up and I found a site that was discussing things you can do in two years to completely change your life. So I'll read a couple of them. Um, One of them is to form stronger connections with your family. Well, who couldn't benefit from that, right? 
another one is to complete a health, body, and mental 180-degree makeover. Now, wouldn't that be awesome? Another one suggested to read 60-plus books on one topic to move a whole lot closer to becoming an expert. And yet another one is to learn another language or two. So let me backtrack a little bit on the one I just spoke about. To read 60 plus books to become an expert on a topic. Well, I can safely say that you guys have definitely become experts at not only sharing your love of movies, but also giving us an in-depth look behind the scenes. And for me, I want to thank you for bringing me back to the cinema, something I kind of become disenchanted with until I learned from you. So I want to say congratulations and happy anniversary, guys. Here's to many more returns. Hi, everybody. It's Natasha from Australia. Happy two-year anniversary to the tragedy of cinema. I think the boys do such an awesome job. When I first heard about the podcast coming out, I was so excited because I love movies and I was really looking forward to seeing how that they do the episodes and I am absolutely in love two years on I'm still in love with um how they do the show I love how they explore the cultural aspects and influence of the movies and the characters and give you all this extra info and it just really makes me enjoy the movies that I love so much more so well done guys keep up the awesome work and I can't wait to keep hearing you all for years to come Hi guys, it's Natalie from Wales. I just want to say big congratulations on your two-year anniversary. I can't believe how fast it's gone. Anyways, keep up the good work. Loving the content. Ciao! Hey buddy, how's it going? It's Randy Hernandez from Canada. I wanted to wish you guys a happy second birthday on the podcast. Let's go. Keep grinding. And here's to many, many more. I hope all of you guys stay safe. And cheers. Hey. Happy birthday, Georgie. From Nico. From Nico. Happy birthday. Day to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to It's Tiffany. I uh, just wanted to pop in real quick and comment on your approaching two years. Thank you all for all the hard work that goes into each and every episode you guys put out. They are so much fun to listen to. And I am absolutely honored that you've allowed me to be part of one. Here is to many more birthdays to come. So congratulations, James and Terrence. You are now officially podcast turdlers. Bye. Hey, Jimmy, this is John Masco. I want to congratulate you on your two-year anniversary of podcasting and wish you many more. Hey, fellas, this is Sam from Suffolk, Virginia. Been uh, listening for since the beginning. I just want to say congratulations on two years of shows. Uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and Lost Boys is fantastic. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for the entertainment. This is Art Toast, and I'd like to congratulate the 
Tragedy of Cinema podcast on their second anniversary. Uh, I've been featured on a few of their podcasts, and uh, unfortunately, people would rather listen to me than them, so they don't have me back too often. Uh, but seriously, congratulations on two years of your podcast. Well, there you go. There's some of our friends and uh, fans and listeners. Um, we thank you guys for listening from all around the world. Um, remember, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a frenemy. Right, Terrence? Yeah. You might have to tell Terrence more than once because he looks like he's <laughs> half asleep. He hasn't been this sleepy for a long time. So, But I think that's a wrap on this episode. And guys, take away, and that's a wrap. And, and cut. cut.